Hey, hey, we want to thank Bill.com for sponsoring the Thrivecast. We've been using Bill.com and our own firm for many years with a sweet new user interface. It's an AI-enabled platform, international payments, all kinds of things. We love Bill.com. Bill.com, thank you for sponsoring the Thrivecast. Yo, yo, welcome again to another Thrivecast episode. Of course, I'm your host, Jason Blummer, and we bring some great guests on the show to help you run firms well, run firms better. Uh, and we have a great guest today. This is, uh, this is a guest you may have heard of. Actually, Dan Maul is going to be joining us, and he helped me start the other podcast that I host on also called Businessology. But I wanted him to come drop some wisdom uh, for accounting firms all over the world. So let me introduce him. So Dan is a creative director and uh, he's an advisor from Philly and he's the founder and CEO of Super Friendly. So this is a design collaborative. It helps in-house teams make better digital products with design systems and he's a leader in that area. So Dan is an enthralled husband and dad, author of Pricing Design and co-founder of Arcade a fun way to manage design tokens for enterprise teams. And he writes about design. Uh, he's on Twitter. You want to follow him if you are not already doing that. And you can go to danmall.me and see a lot of great content he's been writing for years. So, Dan Mall, welcome to the show. It's so awesome to have you, friend. Yeah, awesome. Jason, good to see you. Thank you for having me. This is uh, this is going to be fun. Yeah, this is going to be a lot of fun. So, um Dan, we're, we're going to, I want to dive into positioning and kind of, you know, in a minute, what the heck that term is and what it means. But first, like you've got a few books out, you do a lot of education, probably in the past five years, you've just ramped up classes and things that you teach. Um, and you have some books. What's this newest book you have coming out or is it out already? I don't think it is. Yeah, not out yet. I'm currently writing it right now. It'll probably be out in a year or so, depending on how fast I write it and, and okay. how fast we can publish it. But it's a book all about design systems. It doesn't really have a title yet. I'm still working on that part, okay. too. Um, and there are a lot of books about design systems that are really great out there. This one is mostly for me to document the way that I do it. Um, yeah. So I have a couple of, of uh, unique tips and tricks for teams. And so basically, this book is just about putting them down on paper. Uh, it's a thing that I end up repeating a lot to clients. So rather than repeating it over and over again, I figure let's just all put it down in one place. And then that way I could send them books instead of yeah. having to having them listen to me drone on about it. Yeah, very cool. And you having to say the same thing over and over, right? That's something you don't want to do. Now, design, I mean, we've talked about design systems on the Businessology show at some point, but really generally for accounting firm owners, have you standardized the way people do design and enterprise uh, design teams? Is that what that is? Like, I, that's, boy, I've, I dumbed that down pretty low. So what is design yeah, systems no, anyway, good. really? Yeah, I mean, so design system is basically a fancy term of saying, like, how can we make things more consistently and more efficiently, right? So mm -hmm. design systems are a need generally for big enterprises who tend to manage lots of digital products, right? So mm -hmm. imagine a, a company like an airline that has they have websites, they have mobile apps, they have yeah. kiosks at the airport, they have, you know, all of those kinds of things. And for a customer, you want the customer's experience to be one that's cohesive. So regardless of whether they're checking in on their phone or they're going to the airport and touching the kiosk there, you want people to know that they're checking into the right airline, that they're getting on the right flight, you know, and 
all of the things around design have a lot to do with that. The colors, the typography, the code, the speed, the performance, the tone, you know, all of that stuff. And so we help in-house teams figure out how to do that well and how to do that without reinventing the wheel every time, how to build the systems that underlie all of these different tools and, and apps and things like that that they make. Yeah, so it's just super complex to pull off something like that and manage that many. But I guess the bigger the company, the more complex those design systems are. And you kind of Absolutely. need a system so that, you know, you hire some new designer, the, the 40th per person on the team, and <laughs> they got to know how to do it, too, the way everybody else has been doing exactly. it. Exactly. Very cool. Well, cool. Well, that's, that's awesome. So let's dive into positioning, this term positioning. It is, you know, kind of a marketing term. And I don't know that a lot of accounting firms necessarily know what positioning is. But uh, so, Dan, I want to, you know, get your thoughts and maybe have this show uh, focus on this term positioning, your experience with it, because you are uh, extremely positioned where you are. Uh, and there are effects, right, and consequences for from positioning and things like that. So we'll kind of get into that with stories and examples if we can. But First of all, what the heck is positioning? What does that word mean <laughs> for for yes. now for I'm accounting gonna, firms, right? <laughs> right, totally. I'm going to punt on that a little bit, mostly because I know that you've got a lot of other guests that are great at this, that have written books. You know, I know Tim Williams speaks about this a lot. You yeah, know, yeah. Al Reese's book, Positioning, is an awesome book. So mm. I'm going to punt on the definition of it a little bit. But I'm a word nerd, so okay. I am going to go a little bit to like and like etymology, right? So Do so. As I was kind of preparing for this show and, and this episode, it's like, where did the word positioning come from? Well, it nice. comes from the Latin word ponere, right? Which is like, if you know Spanish, it's the same thing as like poner, which means to put, right? Like, so simply put, positioning is like, where are you put? Where are you placed nice. right? in the spectrum of all of your competitors and your market and all that stuff? Where are you? Right. So that's one way that I think about positioning is like, where where do you actually sit? And, right. I, and the same root word, ponere, is the same thing that's in the word posture, right? The word, the word posture come from. So, you know, where, where are you? What are you positing? What is your position? What is your posture? All of those ideas are related. So very simply or, you know, kind of like plain English, I like to think of positioning as like somebody's asking me like, well, what's your position? Right. One other thing that I'll mention there is, you know, if you think about a team, a team has multiple roles. Yeah. Right. If you think about a sports team, what's your position on that team? You, the quarterback does something yeah. very different than the linebacker, which does yeah. something very different than the special teams unit. So where are you? Where are you put within that unit, within your market? Where are you and what's your specific angle or perspective on what lies in front of you? So that's kind of how I think about positioning is like, where are you? And kind of like, what do you believe? What do you think that is different than than everybody else? I love that. Yeah, no, that's cool. Now, but do we get to decide our own positioning? Sometimes I think it feels like we we are accountants, so we're positioned, we're accountants. And so I, I don't know if, if somebody would say, well, yeah, I'm an accountant. I run an accounting firm. And, and so they state it that generally. But you're saying, you know, you need to be active about going to a place. Like, where are you means I can answer why well, I want to go over there. Is It's an active kind of strategic move that you make. I think so, yeah. And I think that positioning is sort of a, a counterpart or a counterpoint to brand, right? So okay. you decide your position, but the market decides your brand, right? So to differentiate those terms, ah, brand cool. is a person's gut feeling about a service or an organization or something like that. So 
you know, Pepsi's brand or Chipotle's brand or whatever, the market decides what that is, right? At one point, Chipotle was about freshness and fresh ingredients and and in that kind of food until, you know, there was an E. coli scare and then all of a sudden their brand changed, you know, and that was not something that they did. That was something that the market decided for them, but they could change their positioning. They could say, all right, well, we're going to go from a different angle. We're going to look at it and talk about what we do and we're going to do it from a different perspective and from a different angle. So I think th- those two things kind of work hand in hand is you decide what your position is and then the market decides whether your that brand lines up with the position that you've kind of decided. And where most businesses fail is when they choose a position that is opposite from the brand that the market perceives of them. Right? And so what you want to do is you want to figure out how to align those two things. And then, you know, one other way that I think about it is like for accountants, you know, if somebody says, what's your position on you know, mental health or what's your position yeah. on air travel or what's your, you know, you, that's an opinion, right? So people are asking right. you, what is your opinion on this? So if somebody said to you, what's your position on accounting? If your position, if your opinion is, you know, do it, <laughs> do accounting, that's not a position, <laughs> right? So that's, that's kind of what you are, but that's not what your position is. Your position might be, well, we actually think about balancing books this way, or we think that a financial health of a mm. company should be looking at these factors and not these other factors. Those things are positions, right? So it's thinking about what is your opinion and what is your belief on some of these things, I think that helps you establish what your position is in the same way that you have a position on your favorite football team or you know yeah. a, a, a social issue or something like that. Okay, so, so when you are positioning accurately, you are stating opinions. You're being, you're being open about what you believe and don't believe. So are there a lot of different things about positioning, like narrowing, let's say narrowing or niching into a particular market is a way to position, uh, and then how you speak is a way to position, and then the methodology you use to onboard and serve, those are all parts of positioning? Absolutely, I mean, there's a, I forget the name of the restaurant, but there's a restaurant, I think in New York City, and they're known for, when you come in there, they're just rude to you. <laughs> like, so, you know, you come in and it takes a while to get a seat and you sit down and the servers are pretty rude to you and, you know, they get your order right and the food's really good, but yeah. that's a position that they've taken. That's a choice that yeah. they've made, right? I think positioning is about choice. So narrowing is the same thing. Narrowing is a choice to say, we are going to do these services, for example, and we are also not going to do these other services, or mm. we're going to serve this market and not this other market. Uh, so I think a lot of positioning has to be about what you are for and also what you are not for, you know, not necessarily against, but sometimes, yeah. you know, for some folks they're against, you know, we will not do work for a particular industry. You know, that's a position. Uh, we will specialize in a particular industry or geography or something like that. Like narrowing is a form of choice. And I think positioning is all about what are, what's the sum of your choices that you're going to make about who you're gonna serve, how particularly you're gonna serve them, your tone, your, um, your pace, you know, some some accountants like to move very quickly and some like to move very slowly and some. Yeah. And so those all of those are choices about how you're going to work. And then really positioning is about how well does your position align then with the customers that you're intending to serve? If you're like, we are going to be very rude to people and your clients are like, I want an accountant that's going to be very rude and like, tell me how it is. Well, that's great. That's good alignment there. Whereas there are some clients who need handholding. And if your position is we're not going to do handholding, we're going to only work with folks that really know and what they need from an accountant and that we can actually go and do that you know, actively, that's a position to take. You know? and, that, and so without judgment on whether those are good or bad positions, those are mm. positions. Okay. So a position is not necessarily good or bad, right? It is the choice you make 
to be valuable, right, to a market. And I love how you said it, it's the sum of your choices. So positioning is actively about choices, yeses and nos, uh, for whatever reason, right? It could be social, religious, it, political, it could be any basis you're making to make the yes or no, but the sum of your choices is is kind of the result of your positioning. And it doesn't mean you even got it right, right? You could narrow yeah, and position and go, well, that was a crappy move. That, those clients are never going to pay me the way I thought. So um, do, you have, do you have experiences of positioning wrong or or what are some consequences or, or hearing of other people that are positioned in ways that haven't helped them? Yeah, totally. Uh, so, you know, one example this is not my example, but this is just kind of a, a hypothetical is you can position yourself out of a market uh, or you can position yourself where there is no market. Right. So those are very common examples where mm. when people say, I'm going to be the accountant for dentists in Antarctica. Mm. OK, well, that is great because not a lot of people serve that market. But <laughs> is that market large enough to to yeah. have you have, you know, run a thriving business? Oh, I don't know. Uh, only you know that if you're positioned that way. So I think you can position yourself out of a market or position yourself into a place where there is no market. I think those are really common examples. And you and you find that a lot with folks who are artists, you know, folks who think about their work as like, this is the work that I'm going to do. And it doesn't matter who, you know, who likes it, who doesn't, who doesn't like it and who it serves. Well, you could very easily find yourself in a place where there's no market for the thing that you're actually doing. And at that point, you're making art. You're not actually being a service provider. You know, those are those are different things, I think. So, you know, for accountants, I think you can totally find yourself in a place where you could say, we're going to be the best accountant on the East Coast. And that would be a, a, a position for you to take. Now, can you serve that claim well? Uh, that's the thing that your market decides, right? If you say we are going to serve the East Coast, but you're on you're in San Francisco and you're always on Pacific time and you're not waking up as early as folks in the East Coast, mm. that's probably a bad position for you to take. So I think that positioning is really a, a good or bad positioning is also about good or bad positioning for you, because there might be somebody else that could thrive in that with that positioning, even if you are not. So I think a lot of it is relative to, you know, do you have advantages? Do you have unfair advantages that will actually help you succeed with that positioning? or not? Mm. OK, so so if somebody has an unfair advantage, it's kind of a statement of I believe I have some expertise, which is a justification to position more narrowly. Um, and, and I guess, so are you, is that true? Or you're saying, well, I'm an expert. That means I'm going to go after this target market that I know I can serve actually better than anybody because we know them better. We know some methodology better. Uh, so is expertise tied to positioning and can you get that wrong too? Yeah, absolutely. I think very much so. I think very much so is expertise tied to positioning. And I think that's where a lot of folks, um, tend to position and narrow first. Right, is with expertise. So, okay. for example, if you are just, you know, the last eight clients you had, you know, made you have to really research tax law deeper than you've ever done it before. Yeah. Well, you might say, well, now I have all this experience in tax law. And so maybe we're going to serve those that really need tax help, you know, more than those who need other kinds of accounting help, you know, CSO, CFO services or what, whatever that is. So, a lot of times, expertise is the place where people go, well, I, now I have all this knowledge. And I'm not applying it across our client base because one out of my, every 10 client needs that. But instead, if we position ourselves to say, if you are a person who needs that, we are the accounting firm for you, 
right? That's usually a, a kind of an obvious place to go is to go like, well, now we have the specialized expertise and that's kind of the gateway to specialization and narrowing and niching is to go, well, we now know a thing more deeply than other accounting firms know because we had to do it the last eight, eight uh, for the last eight clients. So now you have all this knowledge and you don't have anywhere to put it. So, uh, positioning and, and narrowing is actually a good way to do that. So say, all right, well, maybe maybe we will specialize in this with our clients. Maybe we'll spin off a division of our company that just specializes yeah. in this. So you yeah. know, that's kind of the gateway into doing a lot of that for, that I've seen for a lot of firms. Yeah. So, but if but th there's a there's still a decision in that, right? It might be that let's say you're a consultant to an accounting firm, and uh, you go, wow, you've got six of those clients. You went narrow into that tax code. And you charge them a lot more. Let's put it on your website. Let's take a claim, and that's actually scary for people. Like they, sometimes, especially accounting firms, they want to generalize their website, right? They're like, "Well, I don't want to lose clients." And you're going, "No, you you got the ability to go get special ones, and it can be fewer clients, right? Maybe you can manage a you know a smaller client base." and charge them a lot more. So what is it, the fear of claiming that market? Like the expertise is obvious, right? And maybe that's obvious to the firm internally. And somebody goes, well, let's, let's, act, let's go after that. It's like, well, I don't wanna like put it on my website. What is that fear, that decision that people won't position? Why won't they? It's FOMO, man. <laughs> yeah. You know, it's, that's what it is. It, it's the fear yeah. of missing out. And I, and I think especially yeah. for business owners, you know, we are we are a special breed in that, like, especially for service owners, business owners and services businesses, you you are you succumb to the ebb and flow of your pipeline, right? So mm -hmm. if you don't have any clients, there goes your business, right? Especially yeah. if, if it's dependent, you don't have ways to make recurring revenue or or if anything like that, you're dependent on clients coming in and paying you for the work that you do. So it's mm -hmm. very scary to do something that potentially says we're actually going to close the door to a bunch of options. Right. Mm -hmm. I remember when yeah. I was first freelancing, any option was one that I would entertain because I'm like, I don't know where I'm going to put food on the table. You know, yeah. I don't know how, where I'm going to get paid. So even if I'm not good at it, even if I don't like to do it, I'm going to do it because I really just need to put food on the table. I really need to get that income. And then the pressure mounts as you have payroll, as you have staff, as you know, all of that. So the idea of saying these 10 services that we used to provide, we are no longer going to provide that. Yeah. That's terrifying, you know? Yeah, that's really that's really scary for somebody to say, we're not going to do these things. We're actually going to, and because it, it feels like you're closing doors that would be opportunities otherwise. I think what a lot of firms and, and business owners real, realize after narrowing is by allowing some focus, you make clients want to be more compelled to come to you, right? So one of the things for, for my company, uh, when we specialize in design systems, one of the things what, that was scary was exactly that. Oh, we're not going to do app design anymore. We're not going to do yeah. video production. Or we're not going to do this or we're not going to do that, which we could do. None of which we were very good at anyway. But, it, you know, <laughs> we would get projects doing that stuff and it would pay the bills at least. But it was so hard to sustain. It was so hard to sustain doing all of these different things that we weren't necessarily good at. Um, and instead, it was much easier. And especially when we narrowed and said, we are a design systems agency. Um, mm. We got a lot of clients that came to us to say, like, we were looking for a design systems agency and no one else said that they did this except for you. So thanks for making it easy for us. And one of the things that I know from being in that industry is that every agency does design system work. We just said that we do it. You know, and, I and sometimes that's that's the difference. 
um, is that when you are saying that you're doing something, even though all the accounting firms are doing that thing, but you say, this is a thing that we specialize in, you create moments for alignment. You create moments mm -hmm. for alignment with customers because customers are not looking for a generalist who can do whatever. You know, they are looking for, you know, if you think about the legal profession, I need a divorce, a divorce lawyer. I need, yeah. uh, I need a lawyer that will specialize in this particular. The same thing is true yeah. for accountants. You know, I think there are some people for sure who are looking for sort of general practice, you know, accountants. But then there are others who are like, I need a CFO that will help me forecast. And if yeah. on your website it says we offer CFO services with, for, you know, to help business owners forecast, for me, I'm like, that's great. That's exactly what I'm looking for. And if yeah. you're too broad in your messaging, you don't have the ability to align customers in that way. So I think a lot of it is scary and terrifying. But I think what a lot of folks find is it allows you to speak directly to the audience that you want to. And, and true, at the expense of other audiences. And again, that's a choice that's scary, um, but for a lot of folks, it, it pays off. You know, last thing I'll say about that is I've, I have two young kids. I have uh, two daughters, a 10-year-old and an eight-year-old. With my eight-year-old, one of the things that we've been talking about this summer is, is bravery. You know, what does bravery yeah. mean? We just we moved into a house uh, with, with a pool. We had a pool for yeah. the first time, yeah. and we have a diving board. And my younger oh. daughter is now like, scared of like jumping off the diving board. And so we're talking about bravery. And, you know, one of the things that I think she had said to me was like that she understood that bravery is being scared and doing something anyway. Right. It's yeah. not about well, I get to a point where I'm no longer scared about that thing. And then that makes right. me brave. No, no, you're going to be scared about it, but it's doing uh, it anyway. And I think I think that clients and customers, they are drawn to bravery. Right. They're drawn to nice. folks who say, like, we're not doing that thing. Like there's a there's a bravado in that. There's a compellingness in that where. I think people, especially from a service provider, I think customers want to know that you're good at a thing and that you are focused on a thing and that you have expertise in a thing so that they can trust you. And I think all of, you know, narrow positioning, somehow the subtext of narrow positioning is trust. We're really good at this thing so you can trust us. We're really specialized at this thing. We are focused on this thing. You can trust that we will do it well for you. And I think that's a lot of what comes along with narrow positioning. Very cool. Okay, I never thought of it as bravery. So we, we learned that from your eight-year-old daughter, but, but right. it is, right? It's, it's, it's actually scary to say, I'm going in, I'm going into this narrow place. Now, how did you, how did you guys do it? Because Super Friendly uh, is kind of known for design systems now, but you were known for other things, which I, I, I guess originally you were known for the model, the model of business. Yeah. And so maybe just explain what is the Super Friendly model? And then when did you go, huh? I think I need to make some claims about design systems. Like, what did you do first when you saw that you probably needed to claim that expertise? Yeah, totally. So, um, you know, when I first started Super Friendly, it was like, we do anything digital, you know? So uh, it was just me. And that's the Super Friendly model. The Super Friendly model is I don't carry staff. Um, mm -hmm. I'm the only person at Super Friendly uh, on payroll. Um, I'm the only person who's W2. And every team that we have uh, is consists of freelancers. So. Part of the model is finding the right people to be able to, to bring them together on a project and then actually activate that project based on the expertise on that team. Mm. Uh, that's not a, a unique model and lots of folks do that, but there's not a lot of folks who do that in, in our space, in the digital space. And so that's the thing that I thought would be a differentiator. Um, one of the things that I was finding was that, that was a way to create value, but nobody was coming for that. Right. Nobody, nobody was coming to us just for that. People were coming for the stuff that they always come for. I need a website. I need an app. I need a, this thing built in. I need this other thing. And so that was one part of it that was like, even though that's a way that's part of the business model, which is you know, part of our business that adds value for customers, it wasn't a draw. It wasn't an attraction. It was, a, it was like a once 
certain customers found out about that, they were like, oh, that's cool. Oh. You know, we see how that could help us. Okay. But it wasn't something where, where any customer, you know, and this, we found this in some research and it's like, no customer was like, you know what I would really like? I would really like a custom team built for me to do nothing in particular. <laughs> you know, like that's not, a, that's not a pain point that anybody has. So it was a thing that we couldn't really trade on even though that was a unique identifier. Ah, um, so that was part of the positioning, but it also, but it wasn't part of the value proposition. Mm. Right? And those are like kind of tricky to, to maintain those two. Mm. And then the other thing was, we were just doing design system work all the time. And what we started to do was when clients would come in and would say, we want a website. And we would describe, well, this is how we build a website. We would build it in this systematic way. And it turned out we had to do a lot of education around that. And it would turn a lot of clients off because mm -hmm. they thought they were coming in for one thing and we'd pitch something else. And then they go, yeah, it doesn't feel like you're listening to me. It feels <laughs> like you're saying something that you are doing differently than that. Yeah. So what we decided to do was let's actually put that in front of people as friction. You know, Let's try to align people on align with people and customers who want that initially. And if they don't want that, well, they don't even have to bother wasting their time contacting us. It's a waste of our time, it's a waste of their time. Mm. So let's actually add that as a layer of friction yeah. to get the clients that we want because we were experiencing frustration as were they when they came in and then we were described this design system thing and then they'd go like, uh, it's kind of weird, okay, sure. <laughs> and then they wouldn't come back to us and then we'd be frustrated and they would be frustrated. Yeah. So instead, let's put that up front <laughs> So that clients are like, yes, that's the thing that I want. So those clients and those customers would come to us and, and say, like, you are exactly what I've been looking for. So it was a thing that we've already been doing, um, but then experiencing the frustration of having to sell and educate on that every mm -hmm. time. Instead, let's do the education up front. And then that way, the, the folks and, you know, which leads to content marketing and blog posts mm. and speaking and teaching, you know, all that stuff yeah. up front as a way to align people and as a way to kind of draw them to us who really already see the value in that rather than us having to convince them of that. Mm. So basically design systems was the offering, right? It was the thing people wanted to buy. And then did you find, okay, there's a particular kind of client that needs it. So I guess it started leaning you into those higher, more enterprise level clients. They're the ones who find, I mean, extreme value in a design system, whereas maybe a smaller business may not so did did the service come first and then the market kind of open itself up or did you go we're going to do design systems for more enterprise level fortune 500 or or how did that work yeah, yeah it, was, it was more the former of what you're describing although slightly different it was more that it, it wasn't that we you know established what we said and then the market opened up it was just that we were then tuned to it uh, I, I forget the name of the phenomenon where like you're like, I want to buy a red car. And then all of a sudden you see red cars yeah, yeah, all over yeah, the street, yeah. right? Like, you, like yeah. it was, it's not that suddenly that day more red cars got produced. It was that you were just tuned to it. And so that's one of the things that I love about, about narrow positioning is, you know, and just about life in general, is that there are all these rabbit holes in life that you just aren't aware of until you pay attention to them. Yeah. Right. So, so a lot of folks are thinking, you know, we're a full service accounting firm. If we only focus on CFO services, if we only focus on this particular thing. Well, I've just narrowed my market. No, you haven't. That's probably a gigantic market that you, should, you just weren't paying attention to before because wow. you were trying to serve lots of other different markets, mm. too. Uh, I think the, the, the name of the effect is, is something like the, the Dunning-Kruger effect, yeah. which is the idea that like when you're a beginner at a thing, you just don't know how much of that thing you don't know because you're a beginner. And then once you get deep into it, you actually, even though you have more expertise, you realize how much more there is that you don't know. Yeah. Right. So there's a, there's a nice graph that kind of represents that, the, yeah. the Dunning-Kruger effect. And I think, I think narrowing and, and positioning exposes that. So for us, it was more like, 
you know, the enterprise market was always there. You know, we just weren't paying attention to it. Um, and so, so when we said, we're going to do design systems, one of the things we learned as we focus on that was, who needs design systems? Oh, usually enterprise organizations that already have in-house teams. Yeah. So if you look at our positioning on our website, we basically say, we're only going to work with in-house teams. And that becomes part of our pitch now. If somebody, if a client comes to us and says, you know, we, you know, we're a tech organization or we're a startup, but we don't have an in-house team, we, we refer them away immediately mm. because what we're going to find and what we have found is if we continue to entertain that lead three weeks later or six weeks later or whatever in the sales process, we find out, oh, they're not going to be able to use what we do. Mm. So rather than spending six weeks with them in a sales cycle and then realizing at that point, oh, we're not going to be a good fit for each other. Now, one of the signs that we know is if you don't have an in-house team, that's a, that's a red flag for our services. You know, that, but that's a great sign for other agencies who want to be sort of like, we will be your in-house team for a while. Mm. You know? And so instead, what we do is we refer those away very quickly. The client's happy about that because they found a good partner. We're happy because we got to add value in a very small way, but we're not distracted by all of that. So all of these things get exposed when, you, when you're focused on a, on a market or on a position all those things kind of present themselves to you where you go, ah, we should only work with in-house teams, right? And then that allows you to go, okay, so now we're only going to focus our marketing efforts, our advertising efforts, our messaging, our blogging, our tweeting, you know, all that stuff yeah. on teams that have in-house teams of developers and designers and, you know, and all that kind of stuff. And so I think those things become apparent when you're looking for them. It's hard for those things to be apparent when you're not. Yeah. So I think I think what you're saying, which is pretty cool, is it, it sometimes initially it can be scary to narrow, right? Because it's like, well, I, and I've heard a lot of people say, well, I'll get bored, right? But I think once you narrow, you're saying that world opens up. Actually, you can develop a passion yeah. that way. You go, Wow, this 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 niche is so deep, and I imagine design systems is so complex and deep. There's just always unfolding new things you can learn, and it sounds like the fact that you require teams, in-house teams, to be there is that is because education is a huge part of what you do for them. That's part of the value, and so is that true? You can find your passion sometimes by narrowing, and and then lo and behold. Uh, it opens up a world to you. Is that is that what you found when you've positioned narrowly? Yeah, one hundred percent. I mean, a, a good parallel would be think of any hobby that you might have. Yeah. You know, I, I recently took up photography because I had a camera sitting around. So let's see, let's get into it. So yeah. I started going out and shooting. You know, once a week. And all of a sudden, I'm browsing websites for the newest gear and how do you shoot this way and what settings do I need to have and watching YouTube videos and now subscribing to podcasts. Like it is a whole world yeah. that I didn't know existed there. You know, and any hobby is like that. If you take up rock, rock climbing, if yeah. it's something athletic, if yeah. it's something le- like if it's a TV show, you know, what like there's there's all these worlds, all these universes, right. you know, that exist under all of these, you know, narrow rocks. Um, and I think the same is true for, for narrow position, for sure. It's yeah. like you just don't you just don't uncover them until you're looking for them. Yeah. And I think that's a that's kind of a big part of, of, of positioning is like, you know, anyone that I know that is narrowly positioned has not gotten bored because they, they open up a new world. Right? It's all these doors now that open to them. And you're investigating, well, who are the customers and what do they respond to? And, you know, like, there's all the stuff that just gets uncovered once you're actually looking for it. Yeah. All right. So as we're, we'll be wrapping up here soon, but I do want to talk about the accounting profession. And it is, 
help me assess the accounting profession, Dan. <laughs> um, maybe you'll want to run an accounting firm when this is over. You may, right, Dan? Hey, who knows? <laughs> well, so accounting firms are notoriously, I mean, we're known as a profession for looking the same, right? And so it's kind of even a joke, right? We just all look really similar. And I don't I don't really understand why markets become that way. Maybe it is a professional service. Maybe, you know, lawyers are probably, they lean more in that that direction. Maybe more technical, medical, you know, there's a lot of general practitioners. But maybe it's because you can be a generalist and still be okay also, right? Because those are technical fields maybe. And design is like that too. But wh- why do markets just notoriously look the same and I don't know if we know the answer to that. And what's the first thing you would say to an accounting firm just to figure out how to bust out of that and at least put something on their website that states some claim of a position? Yeah, totally. So why do things look the same? Because it's safe. (laughs) Yeah, that's a good point. Especially, you know, and there's there's comfort in that. So I have no judgment against that. Yeah. You know, sometimes... Sometimes people just need safety. Sometimes yeah. they need the boredom of safety. Yeah. You know, I, I know that I do a lot of times, yeah. especially in the world that we live in now. Like we have gone through a global health crisis, For sure. which you know we've never seen in our lifetimes in yeah. the same way. So like some people are like, can I just go to work and have it not be yeah. difficult? <laughs> I think that's that's enough. You know, For that's sure. fine. Yeah. And then there are other folks, whether it's personality driven or where you are in your life or wherever, that goes like, I want something more. I'd like to, you know, I have. I'm, I'm less risk averse right now in this season or whatever it is. And I think that's where the, the, the desire to go like, all right, well, let's do something new. Let's try something a little bit riskier because I can, I can handle that. I'm ready for that. And I'm also ready for the reward that that might bring. Right. So I think in Ron Baker's, you know, value pricing book, he says yeah. like reward comes from risk. Yeah. Right. So if you're not taking any risk, you don't get the potential of a big reward, which is fine. If you don't want the big reward and you're like, I'm cool with that. No problem. But if you want a big reward, you got to take some risk in order to do that. I think that's where that bravery kind of comes in of yeah. like, you know, how do you narrow? So there's safety in we're just going to do what everybody else does. Like, mm. don't stand out. Right? That worked in high school, right? Like, right. You're like I don't want to stick out. <laughs> right. You know, great. Dress like everybody else. Talk yeah. like everybody else. Like, fly <laughs> under the radar. Um, but then what that allows people to do from a, from a business perspective, right? If you think about it. So I, I take allergy medicine because I have seasonal allergies. So, yeah. so I want to go buy Zyrtec, you know, over-the-counter Zyrtec. Well, there's no differentiation between the Zyrtec at Walmart or the Zyrtec at Target or yeah. the Zyrtec at CVS. It's the same Zyrtec. Right. So what does that allow me to do? Price shop. Yeah. If there's no differentiation, I can just find the lowest the lowest one. Mm. Oh, I can go to Walmart and get it for a dollar cheaper. Right. So that's, what's hap- that's what happens when you look the same. And so, okay, what do you do then to look different? If somebody is like, all right, I, I get that. I'm on board. How do I then you know, distinguish or differentiate my accounting firm? Well, I know, Jason, when we were teaching the, the businessology positioning workshops, yeah. I thought I had made this up. It turns out I didn't. It came from the, it came from the book, Jim Collins, Good to Great. Yeah. And I was like, oh, I thought that I made this. <laughs> so in, in that book, Good to Great, Jim Collins suggests, you know, three things. I think he calls it part of the hedgehog concept or the yep. hedgehog method, yep. something mm-hmm. like that. And you look at three things. One is what are you the best in the world at? The second is what do you love to do? And then the third thing is what is your market looking for? Mm-hmm. And if you can you can triangulate around those three things and make it the same answer, that's a really good sweet spot for positioning, nice. right? So that's, you know, I know that's one of the exercises that we used to teach people to do all the time, you know, in our coaching was like, what make a list of all the stuff that you are the best in the world at. And it's probably a short list, honestly. Yeah. But, right, so what are all those things? Okay, well, we're, we're really best at, um, at 
at CFO services. We're yep. really best at forecasting. We're really best yep. at bookkeeping. We're really best, at, you know, what like we do that better than anybody else out there. Um, and I think there's some qualifiers to that. You know, the qualifiers are, you know, best in the world. You could redefine world. Your world could be the East Coast of the United States. Nice. Your world could be the city that you live in. Yeah. Your world could be, you know, with senior citizens. The, you know, the world could be families. So you could define best in the world as we could be the best accounting firm for families or we could be the best accounting firm for business owners or for, you know, retired priests or I don't know, whatever. Yeah. Like you could pick whatever that, right. that world is. So that's, that's thing one. And then thing two is like, what do you love to do? If, if, if you just got a, a, a grant of $10 million and you didn't have to work, but you still wanted to work in accounting, what services would you provide yeah. knowing that you're covered? You know, and, and like, what would that list look like? And then the third thing is all of your clients that have come to you in the last year or two or five or 10, what have they generally come in asking for? You know, and ideally the closer those answers are to each other, nice. the better you're gonna be. So I think that's the thing that I would look for first. Is there a common answer, you know, for, mm -hmm. for me as a web designer, if it's like, if I love dogs yeah. and I like making websites for dogs and all of my clients are dog owners who want me to make websites for their dogs or about their dogs. And I'm also really good at making websites for dogs because I understand the breeds and I understand, you know, whatever, what dog owners need from websites. Yeah. That's a, probably a pretty good business for me to run. Nice. I love, like, I'll, I'm going to love what I'm doing all day. Um, my clients are very specific and they're just waiting for me because I can only take on so many dog websites at a time. So, you know, if I can only work on two at a time, but 10 people want websites, well, that's great. That's supply and demand. I am, I am uh, I'm killing it there, <laughs> you know? And, uh, and so uh, all of those things, the, the closer those answers are, the better. So that's, that would be the exercise that I would suggest to any mm, accounting firm nice. owner is like, make those lists, you know, and see, do you have a common answer across those three lists? And if you don't, then those are things that you can start to work on, right? So for example, if you have a list, if you have on two of those lists, like we're really good at bookkeeping um, and all of our clients are really good at it, but we don't love it. Okay, well maybe that's your moneymaker. Maybe that's the thing that you sell when you're in a pinch, yeah. right? Maybe you reserve that service yeah. for, okay. all right, when we need cash flow, we're gonna offer bookkeeping services, but otherwise we're gonna keep it off the list. Um, other versions of that is, Maybe you love doing bookkeeping and your clients are asking for it, but you're not the best in the world. Okay, well, that, those are training opportunities. Go take a bookkeeping seminar, you know, go, go uh, you know, do a course or something like that. So all of those things are ways that you can then grow into narrow positioning if you have, you know, one of those things on two of the three of the lists and maybe not three of the three of the lists. So that's generally what I would suggest to all business owners. Okay. Like start making those lists and see what, see what overlap exists between them. Okay. And then once you bring those together, you can actually go to your website and actually state some claims. Is that where you do it? You say, we do yeah. this, for this for this group of people. Yeah, I was I was talking to a friend about this too, who you know who was saying like, I want people to hire me for this service. I'm like, dude, does anyone even know that you do that? And he's like, well, no, I'm you know I'm just like telling people one by one. I'm like, well, you got to be noisier about it, you know? Like, so yeah. website absolutely is one place, but websites are tough because websites are a form. I think it's called pull marketing, right? Where yeah. like mm. people have to come to your website, yeah. and who knows how many people are coming to your website organically? You know, maybe it, that number is probably low, mm. and generally in the industry that number is getting lower and lower. People just don't visit websites organically. Yeah. They usually follow a link from somewhere, Facebook or email or Twitter or you know wherever. So a lot of the push methods are probably stuff that you want to explore too, especially if your markets are there, right? So um, you know, not you know, certainly put it on your website so that people have a place to land. 
but can you message it somewhere in your email list? Can you message it on Twitter? Can you, you know, are most of your clients on Instagram? You know, should you run some Instagram ads or Facebook ads? You know, so those are the things like that actually get your message to people as opposed to hoping that they will come to you and then actually see that. So I think all of those things are, are things to work on, um, but I would, I would probably prioritize ways that you could get your message to people. Mm. And sometimes that is one by one. Right? Yeah. Sometimes that is making the list of, here are my 10 ideal customers who I know would take a phone call from me or read an email from me. And I'm just gonna send you know 10 love letters to each of them <laughs> about custom, that not a form letter. I'm gonna write them a letter and say, here are my services that I offer. I think that you could make the most of this. Would you be interested in a chat? Um, so I think ways to, that you can get your message to them in your new positioning, I think is crucial to people knowing about it. Because otherwise you could have the service that you've been sitting on that no, nobody knows about, nobody will care yeah. about it because they don't know about it. Yeah, and so you, yeah, you gotta tell people. And sometimes one-on-one -on -one direct conversations can lead to, you know, to word of mouth and those things can grow absolutely uh, too over time. So, all right, Dan, we're out of time. Uh, I think we probably went over time. So thank you for hanging out with us and teaching these things. I think if people go to the super friendly site, that is really a design system site, but danmall.me, you write a lot of great content. Uh, would it probably be good for, for people to visit that site, even accounting firms, right? They're going to learn a lot about design. What other things do you talk about on danmall.me? Yeah, I mean, I talk about generally how people can be happier at work, right? So that's usually nice. in the context of the work that I do, you know, and the work that my clients do and my teams do, which is digital work. But, you know, things like like how to create safety with your teams, because that's those are things that, that people um, desire, especially nowadays. You know, how do how do your teams be are, are, how are your teams able to take risks? So I read a lot about that kind of stuff, like how to make nice. good teams. And then I also do write a, a lot about um, pricing. You know, and about yeah. positioning and about business owning and all that stuff. And so I try to be as transparent as I can about how my business is going. You know, go, yeah. some some seasons are killing and some seasons are not so great. Uh, so I try to write about that stuff as often as I have time to. So most of it is me kind of chronicling my professional and sometimes personal experience. So if you have any appetite for that, yeah, my site's a good place for that. Nice, cool. Well, Dan, thanks for joining us on the Thrivecast. Um, we know accountants are gonna learn a lot from this. So, and thanks for being a good friend and starting the Businessology show with me years ago, Absolutely. almost 10 years ago, which is kind of crazy. Holy uh, cow, 10 years ago. <laughs> and, I know, it's exciting to see all the things you've done. So thanks again for joining us on the show, man. We appreciate you. Awesome, thanks for having me, Jason. Take care.